Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Abgenommen bedauert. Lever Brothers Company presents the Pepsi program. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Huffman. Capsident presents Philip Marlowe, Hollywood's famous private detective created by Raymond Chandler. Philip Marlowe, tough, cynical private eye of Murder, My Sweet, the sardonic, case-hardened detective of the Brasher Doubloon, the Lady in the Lake, and the Big Sleep. You've seen him in action in all of those top-flight mystery pictures. Now, in order that you may continue to enjoy this exciting mystery series, Pepsodent brings you The Adventures of Philip Marlowe on the air with a cast of noted radio players and starring MGM's brilliant and dynamic young actor, Van Heflin. desert wind blowing into Los Angeles that evening. It was one of those hot, dry Santa Anas that come down through the mountain passes and curl your hair, make your nerves jump and your skin itch. On nights like that, every booze party ends up in a fight, and meek little housewives feel the edge of a carving knife and study their husband's necks. Anything can happen when the Santa Ana blows in from the desert. I closed up my office early. I got tired of reading Philip Marlowe, private investigator, backwards in the ground glass at my office door. So I opened the door and closed it from the outside and locked it and went out to get a beer before I went up to my apartment. Uh, fill her up again, Mr. Marlin? Marlowe. Marlowe. Marlin is a fish. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey. Hey, you bartender. Come in on a ride. That drunk again. What'd you expect in this business? Autograph hounds? Make it snappy, yeah. Be right with you, sport. I gotta draw this man a beer. Crying out loud, these stumble bums that come in here. You got another customer, Bacchus? Hey, bud. You seen a lady in here lately? A lady? Tall, good-looking, brown hair, a Prince Valero jacket, and a blue silk dress. No, sir. No, sir. Nobody like that's been in. Ah, it's straight scotch, fast. Left my engine running out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This slick-looking, sarcastic guy stepped up to the bar and drank his scotch whole. Then he turned to go out and stopped. The drunk was grinning at him. And then without changing his grin, the drunk swept a gun from somewhere so fast it was just a blur coming out. Made a couple of hard snaps 
A little smoke curled. Very little. All right, show other guys. Don't move. So long, Waldo. All right, don't move, you two. Oh, Waldo. But I made his nose bleed. So long, boys. Drink up. All right, get on that phone, kid. I'll get his license number. Holy smoke. Holy smoke. Not too late. He's over way of this dead guy's car. Uh, maybe he ain't dead. Uh, he's dead, all right. Where's your phone? This is for the police. The prowl car boys were there in about five minutes. Waldo was out of business, all right. And nothing in his pockets told who he was, but... He had about $700 on him. I told the cops what I knew, including about Waldo's tall, brown-haired, pretty girl in the bolero jacket. It was about 9 o'clock when I stepped out of the elevator in my apartment house and almost walked right into a tall, brown-haired, pretty girl in a bolero jacket, waiting for the elevator on my floor. Oh, excuse me. Just a minute, lady. I said, excuse me, I'm in a hurry. I'll be good enough Look, to you better out. not go outside in those clothes. Just what do you mean by telling me this? This isn't a make. You're in trouble. Trouble? Yeah, the cops are looking for you in those clothes. But I haven't done anything that's... I'm in room 41 across the hall now. I never collected matching in my life. All right, I'll go with you. I'll go. I got to my room and rustled up some scotch and soda and brought the girl her glass. She had a small automatic in her hand. It jumped up at me, and her eyes were full of panic. I put down both glasses on the table slowly so that I wouldn't be misunderstood. Look, sister, maybe this wind has got you crazy, too. Don't move. Careful, don't move. A man just got shot in a bar down the street. Before he got it, he'd been asking about a tall, pretty girl with a bolero jacket, like yours. What do you look like, this man? Tall, 5'11", slim, dark, dark brown eyes with a lot of glitter, dark suit, white handkerchief in the breast pocket. And he must have seen you earlier tonight to know how you were dressed. Am I getting anywhere? He used to be my chauffeur. You had an appointment with him, didn't you? Why? Listen, he asked for you, didn't he? Yes, I had an appointment with him. He'd stolen something from me when he left three days ago. I was going to buy it back from him. Why didn't you tell the police? I couldn't tell them. It was valuable, wasn't it? Valuable enough for Walter to steal? $15,000. Oh, it's peanuts. But it wasn't a valuable. It meant something to me. The man I loved gave it to me, and now he's dead. He was a flyer shot down over Germany. I'll go back and tell my husband that. He probably hired you. He did? Well, how much is he paying me? And uh, where is this husband of yours? He's at a meeting. This late at night? He's a very important man. He's a hydroelectric engineer. I'll have you know that my husband well, is under... Skip it. I'll take him out to lunch sometime and have him tell me himself. And about Waldo. Whatever he had on you is dead stock now, like Waldo himself. He's dead. Waldo? Dead? Yes, sister. He's dead. Dead, dead, dead. Maybe he is dead. Oh. I scream and I'll give you two black eyes. I'm not going to scream. Who about these? There's a dressing room behind that door. Hide there. Now, don't argue with me. Do it. All right. And I went to the door making a loud yawning sound. The backs of my hands were wet. I opened the door without a gun. That was a mistake. I certainly knew the gun I was looking into, a 22 target automatic that had already killed one man that night. And I knew the bald head and the flat, shiny eyes and the face like a poisonous lizard. Baldy put the muzzle of his gun lightly against my throat. I, I backed into the room. 
and Baldy kicked the door shut. You alone? Look for yourself. I'm asking, not looking. I'm alone. You and that dumb bartender saw me dust off Waldo. What did Waldo do to you? Who's asking? Just making conversation. You stood on me on a bank job we did together. Got me four years in Michigan pen. How is he? Dead. <laughs> I'm still good. Drunk or sober. Tell me why I came here, pal. You heard the barkeeper and me talking. I told him my name, where I lived. That's how, pal. I said, why? I'll skip the hangman would ask you to guess why he's there. Oh, you're pretty tough at that, ain't you? But you're slamming off, pal. All right, but you could get that gun out of my neck and try somewhere else. Oh, yeah, sure. Is this better? This suit you all right? Uh, so it is my neck. Save when, pal? Sure, party. I leaned against the gun. The door of the dressing room showed a crack of darkness. The crack widened. I began to shake a little. The girl came quietly into the room, but there was white all around her iris. She, she was scared. She had her gun in her hand, but I was sorry for her. Dead sorry. She tried to make the door scream either way. It'd be curtains for both of us. You scared, mister? You worried about any little thing? I couldn't talk. The girl floated in the air somewhere behind Baldy, and her horrified face was drifting toward us. My mouth was as cold and dry as yesterday's toast. Well, kid, how's it feel? You ready yet? Go on, say the word. Well, don't take all night about it if you're if you're going to do something about it. Why not, pal? I like this. Now, suppose I yell. Go ahead, yell. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, look! Oh. Thanks, sister. Thanks. That that buys me. Everything I have is yours now and forever. You flatter me no end, lady. I only punched him. All right, now get out of here while I call the cops down on this killer. Good night. Good hey, night. wait, wait. Leave that blur jacket here. Mark you for the cops. Oh, yes, here. Okay. See you again? What? Oh, I don't know. No, I guess not. After all, who am I to be the rival of a dead flyer? I'll see that the police get Jesse James here. Good night, lady. <laughs> Yeah? Mean me? Yes. Please. Oh, you. Again, huh? Get in. I must talk to you. You want to know what happened at headquarters, huh? Yes. Well, I went down there with the law and gave him a story. I left you out of it. Thank you. You saved my life, so no one knows a thing about you. Well, incidentally, neither do I. Well, my name is Mrs. Frank Bosley. 212 Fremont Place, Olympia 24596. Is that what you want? I guess so. Well, there he is. Now, why did you really come back? I wanted my pearls. Pearls? Yes. Pearls, too, huh? All right. Tell me about the pearls. You've had a murder and a beautiful mystery woman and a sadistic killer and a heroic rescue. Now we will have pearls. I was to buy them back from the man called Waldo. Well, I saw everything that came out of his pockets and there weren't any pearls. Could they be hidden in his apartment? It's possible. Waldo lived on the same floor you do in this apartment house. Well, why didn't I know him? At least by sight. He moved in last week. He managed to get a sub lab. Yeah, great. A sort of a manager magician on the side, huh? It's getting rather late. Yeah. What about your husband this hot, mysterious night? He's still at his meeting. You could have brought him along. You could have sat in the back seat working out a problem in hydroelectrics while... While what? 
Well, I didn't have any answers that wouldn't sound cheap or just ridiculous if from the sophomore class and late our team had an unlit cigarette in my hand. I threw it out of the window. I took a hold of her and kissed her. She sat very still. I was shaking when I let go of her. Her voice trembled a little when she spoke. I mentioned it to that. I wasn't always that way. Only since Johnny Dalmas was killed in the war, he gave me those pearls. Forty-one of them perfectly matched with the diamond propeller clasp. I'd have loved them if they'd been wooden beads because he gave them to me. I love Johnny. The way you love just one time. You understand me? Hmm. What's your name? Lola. Lola. How did you explain a $15,000 pearl necklace to your husband? I told him they were imitation and I bought them myself. How did Walter latch on to them and what they stood for? Well, my husband was in Argentina, Walter, and I go for long drives. I was restless and wretched because of Johnny. Sometimes Walter and I had a little drink together, but that's all. But you confided in Walter about his pearls. I was a fool. And when your husband came back, Walter stole the pearls and offered to sell them back to you, or he'd tell Papa, huh? I was a fool. And now you think the pearls are upstairs in Walter's apartment? I suppose it's a lot to ask. No, sweetheart. Huh? I've been paid. I'll go look. We're here. Has it gone on, Lola? Not by name. I don't know. Mexican, South American, about uh, 45, small, iron gray hair, very neat, fawn-colored suit, wine-colored tie. No, I don't think I know such a man. Is he the one in Waldo's room? Yeah. What do you have to say? Very little. In fact, nothing. He's dead. listening to that jittery, infuriating desert wind gallop around in the midnight streets. I just told her about the Latin-looking man I'd found in Walter's room in a very dead condition. I held her hands until they stopped trembling, and I gave her the few remaining details. He had a gun and a shoulder holster, but someone had strangled him before he could use it. Someone? Walter? Maybe. You see that convertible coupe two cars ahead of us? Been there for hours. He was there before I parked here to wait for you. Leon, the man in Walter's room, came in that car, but according to the key containers he carried, that isn't his car. Whose car is it? Does it matter? Well, it belongs to a lady, according to the tag on the keys. A lady? Well, anyway, a woman, if you can split hairs. Eugenie Kolchenko, hmm? In West Los Angeles? Never heard of her. Uh-huh. All right, well, you go home now, huh? What are you going to do? Drive that flossy convertible around, wave at my friends, impress people. You run along now. Maybe I've got another date. Yes? What is it, please? Miss uh, Eugenie Kolchenko? Yes? What is it? Did you lose or misplace a pigeon gray convertible coupe? What are you saying? Now, don't be alarmed. I found it and I brought it home to you. Come in, please. This is a reward you wish. 
Shall we say... Snap that... out of it, Dragon Lady. Who was he? Who was who? The little guy, Leon. You loaned your car to He's dead. Who was he? Oh, oh no, no. Oh, yes, yes. Eugenie. Darling, darling, come here, please. What's the matter, honey? Who is this man? I came about Miss Kolchenko's car. What about her car? The gentleman who borrowed it couldn't return it on account of he isn't alive. She's dead. Darling, she's dead. Well, that's putting it more bluntly, of course. There, do. Hmm? Completely. Who are you? Philip Marlowe, private investigator. My card. Mm-hmm. You told the police yet? Never do at once what can be deferred pending negotiations. He's something. I'm not negotiating. Oh, peachy. What do you know, Marlowe? A man named Waldo was shot in a bar tonight. I happened to have the inside as to who he was, and when I visited his apartment tonight, I found this Leo Balsanos dead. He wouldn't have had $500 in 20s on him, would he? No, but this Waldo had over $700 on him when he was killed at that cocktail bar, mostly in 20s. Oh. Is there a basis there for negotiation yet? Very well, my lord. I'm a married man. There are certain unpaid bills for some stuff Miss Kolchenko here had charged to my account. But you told me I might charge to your account. All right, so I wasn't very bright. That might be the understatement of the decade, but go on. I had the unpaid bill safely in my briefcase. Somehow this Waldo had a chance to steal the briefcase. I hired Leon and gave him $500 to buy back those bills from Waldo. Instead, Waldo took Leon's dough and was forced to kill Leon in the process. And then he went out to keep another date and accidentally walked into an old pal hostile enough to blow him down. And someone still has those bills. And I'm in for a divorce. The man who shot Waldo got away in Waldo's car with your briefcase in it. Yeah, that could be. The cops caught him. Oh. And the police have the briefcase. Maybe. But the police are interested in solving crime, not in tossing mud for the benefit of sensation eaters. Look, I've got to find it to at headquarters. Let me see what I can do. It's worth $500 to me. Well, then that's what it'll cost you. Well, good luck. And, um... Thank you, Mr. Uh... Marlowe. Philip Marlowe, remember? My name is Frank Barsley. Bars... Barsley. Oh? What does that mean? The big hydroelectric engineer? Yeah. How did you know? My voices tell me. Who? Darling, this man is manifestly insane. It's the heat, Miss Kolchenk. It's the Santa Ana. It's the desert wind. May I use your telephone? <laughs> Someday I must tell you about Ibera, salt of the earth Ibera, detective lieutenant over Central Homicide. I phoned Ibera from Miss Kolchenko's house and told him where he could find a well-dressed cadaver named Leon and furnished a few small details. I gave Ibera time to check my tip and then I went down to see the good lieutenant and told him why I'd been up in Waldo's room, only to find Leon instead of a certain lady's string of pearls. Pearls, eh? Well, I thought Waldo might have them up there. Mm-hmm. Whose pearls were they? A lady's. Go on. Or they might have been in Waldo's car that Waldo's killer drove away in. Mm, yeah. Well, what, yeah? They might have. Also a batch of unpaid bills charged to the account of a certain Frank Barsley? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, now, the police aren't interested in domestic scandal. They, they want to prevent or to solve crime, right? So? So I've got $500 for the police fund if those pearls and those bills are returned to their rightful owners. Oh, great, you kid. No, no, it's, it's a valuable necklace. Yeah, There's your necklace. That's it. Forty-one pearls, perfectly matched diamond propeller clasp. That's it. That's the one. Take it away, Morrow. On the level? Mm-hmm. Just tell me straight what it's all about, all oh, that. Sure, sure. Well, this Waldo was blackmailing a wife with the pearls, and her husband with the bills, by the name of Barsley. 
Well, Barson sent Leon to get the bills from Waldo. Instead, Waldo killed Leon, then stepped out and happened to get shot by that guy at the bar. Now, if Barsley's name stays out of the paper, I get $500. And that goes to the police fund. We'll keep him out. Well, now, I'm not in this case for money. I just want to get back the bills and the pearls. And as you say, Mo, the police sound in business to sling money. Well, you can deliver the pearls to the lady yourself if you like. No, she no, 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 Mara. Uh, you better take them to her. You see, except for the diamond propeller clasp on them, they're, uh, they're phony. Phony? But all but the clasp, Mara. All but the clasp. I scared So the fire, Johnny Downs, the great lover, had given Lola a string of fake pearls. Well, I didn't know how to tell her, but I called her up and told her to meet me at the beachcombers at two hours in a slip of the bad news slowly. I'm glad you asked me to meet you here, Mr. Marlowe. See, I... I had to have someone to talk to. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, talk. I'm listening. Now, Mr. Marlowe, now more than ever, I must... I must have those pearls. Why? Money trouble? Oh, no, no. It's just that everything's gone wrong. This morning, my husband told me where to separate. Oh, I'm sorry, Lola. But if I had Johnny's pearls, it would be a link with the past and with Johnny. And all he meant to me. It's how a woman feels, Mr. Marlowe. I wouldn't blame you for not understanding. Well, maybe I do, though. So please, Mr. Marlowe, please, we'll try to find my pearls. Lola, look, I... Even if it isn't all of them, any part of them, any, any single smallest one of them, it'll be Johnny's. Look, will you uh, meet me here again around 4 o'clock? I'll be here. Okay, I'll see what I can do. There was only one earthly decent thing I could do. I took Lola's glass pearls to a jeweler and I had him take off the diamond clasp and put it on one of those strings of so-called simulated pearls that they sell you for three bucks, tax included. Then I went back to keep my four o'clock date with Lola at the beachcombers. Well, Mr. Marlowe, anything new? Yes, the uh, police found some pearls in Waldo's car. They found my pearls? No, no, not, not exactly. Not exactly. Well, Waldo was getting set to jip you, Lola. He had the diamond clasp of your necklace attached to a string of cheap imitations. And then he sold the real pearls. Oh, how... Oh. These are the imitations, here. Yes. But it is my clasp. The clasp is real. Is that all right? Yes, it's the clasp that Jenny Dalmas gave me. Of course, of course it's all right. Oh, that's swell. Thank you so much, Mr. Marlowe. Forget it. I won't. Not if... Listen. Just goodbye. Yeah, I think so. You'll never get over Johnny Dalmas, will If anybody ever bothers you again, though, well, let me know. Name's Philip Marlowe. I drove almost to Malibu and then I parked and walked out on that rock cliff. Then I reached in my pocket and dug out the string of bohemian glass pearls that Lieutenant Ibarra found in Waldo's car. I cut the knot at one end and slipped the pearls off one by one. One by one, I flipped them into the water. The bell swooped down on them, and they flapped up again, screaming indignantly. The phony pearls had fooled Waldo and Lola Barsley, but they couldn't fool a seatbelt. I said to myself, to the memory of Johnny Dalmas, just another four-flusher. I listened a while to the wheeling seagulls. All at once, I realized that the wind had died. The Santa had blown itself out. 
The red wind was done. It was over. just heard Van Heflin starring in the first of a new mystery series, Raymond Chandler's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, brought to you by the Lever Brothers Company, makers of Tetsident. Tonight's story on The Adventure of Philip Marlowe is based on Red Wind, written by Raymond Chandler, creator of Philip Marlowe, the screen's most famous private detective. It was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger. Third with Van Heflin was Lorene Tuttle as Lola Barsley. And this is Wendell Niles inviting you to listen again next week at this same time to another exciting story on The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin with a distinguished cast. For the safety of your smile, use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent Program, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Pepsodent presents Philip Marlowe, Hollywood's famous private detective created by Raymond Chandler. Philip Marlowe, tough, cynical, private eye of Murder, My Sweet, the sardonic, case-hardened detective of The Brasher Doubloon, The Lady in the Lake, and The Big Sleep. You've seen him in action in all of those top-flight mystery pictures. Now, in order that you may continue to enjoy this exciting mystery series, Pepsodent brings you The Adventures of Philip Marlowe on the air with a cast of noted radio players and starring MGM's brilliant and dynamic young actor, Van Heflin. Now, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste. New Pepsodent with Irium. New, fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new, cool, minty flavor. It's the three-to-one favorite over all other toothpastes. It's true. With families all over America, new Pepsodent is the favorite three-to-one. Families from coast to coast recently compared new Pepsodent with other toothpastes at home. They preferred new Pepsodent by an overwhelming average of three to one over all other brands they tried. These families, three to one, said new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Yes, families three to one say new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Get new Pepsodent toothpaste for your family right away. There was a rough desert wind blowing into Los Angeles that evening. It was one of those hot, dry Santa Anas that come down through the mountain passes and curl your hair, make your nerves jump and your skin itch. On nights like that, every booze party ends up in a fight, and meek little housewives feel the edge of a carving knife and study their husbands' necks. Anything can happen when the Santa Ana blows in from the desert.
I closed up my office early. I got tired of reading Philip Marlowe, private investigator, backwards on the ground glass of my office door. So I opened the door and closed it from the outside and locked it and went out to get a beer before I went up to my apartment. Uh, fill her up again, Mr. Marlin? Marlowe. Marlowe. Marlin is a fish. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey. Hey, you bartender. Come in on the ride. That drunk again. What'd you expect in this business? Autograph hounds? Make it snappy, yeah? Be right with you, sport. I gotta draw this man a beer. Crying out loud, these stumble bums who come in here. You got another customer, Bacchus? Hey, bud. You seen a lady in here lately? A lady? Tall, good-looking, brown hair, a print bolero jacket, and a blue silk dress. No, sir. No, sir. Nobody like that's been in. All right, straight scotch, fast. I left my engine running out there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This slick-looking, sarcastic guy stepped up to the bar and drank his scotch whole. Then he turned to go out, and he stopped. The drunk was grinning at him. And then, without changing his grin, the drunk swept a gun from somewhere so fast it was just a blur coming out. Made a couple of hard snaps, and a little smoke curled. Very little. All right, you other guys. Don't move. So long, Waldo. All right, don't move, you two. Oh, Waldo. But I made his nose bleed. So long, boys. Drink up. All right, get on that phone, kid. I'll get his license number. Holy smoke. Holy smoke. Ah, too late. Drove away with this dead guy's car. Uh, maybe he ain't dead. Uh, he's dead, all right. Where's your phone? This is for the police. Prowl car boys were there in about five minutes. Waldo was out of business, all right. And nothing in his pockets told who he was, but he had about $700 on him. I told the cops what I knew, including about Waldo's tall, brown-haired, pretty girl in the bolero jacket. It was about nine o'clock when I stepped out of the elevator in my apartment house and almost walked right into a tall, brown-haired, pretty girl in a bolero jacket, waiting for the elevator on my floor. Oh... Excuse me. Just a minute, lady. I said, excuse me, I'm in a hurry. Now, if you'll be good enough Look, to step out Look, you better out of... not go outside in those clothes. Just what do you mean by telling me this what... This isn't a make. You're in trouble. Trouble? Yeah, the cops are looking for you in those clothes. But I haven't done anything that... I'm in room 41 across the hall now. I never collected an etching in my life. All right, I'll go with you. I'll go. I got to my room and rustled up some scotch and soda and brought the girl her glass. She had a small automatic in her hand. It jumped up at me, and her eyes were full of panic. I put down both glasses on the table slowly so that I wouldn't be misunderstood. Look, sister, maybe this wind has got you crazy, too. Don't move. Careful, don't move. A man just got shot in a bar down the street. Before he got it, he'd been asking about a tall, pretty girl with a bolero jacket, like yours. What did he look like, this man? Tall, 5'11", slim, dark, dark brown eyes with a lot of glitter, dark suit, white handkerchief in the breast pocket. And he must have seen you earlier tonight to know how you were dressed. Am I getting anywhere? He used to be my chauffeur. You had an appointment with him, didn't you? 
Why? Listen, he asked for you, didn't he? Yes, I had an appointment with him. He'd stolen something from me when he left three days ago. I was going to buy it back from him. Why didn't you tell the police? I couldn't tell them. It was valuable, wasn't it? Valuable enough for Waldo to steal? $15,000. Oh, it's peanuts. But it wasn't the value. It meant something to me. The man I love gave it to me, and now he's dead. He was a flyer shot down over Germany. I'll go back and tell my husband that. He probably hired you. He did? How much is he paying me? And uh, where is this husband of yours? He's at a meeting. This late at night? He's a very important man. He's a hydroelectric engineer. I'll have you know that my husband oh, is one skip of... skip it. I'll take him out to lunch sometime and have him tell me himself. And about Waldo. Whatever he had on you is dead stock now, like Waldo himself. You mean he's dead? Waldo is dead? Yes, sister, he's dead. Dead, dead, dead. Lady, he is dead. Oh. I scream and I'll give you two black eyes. I'm not going to scream. Who will that be? There's a dressing room behind that door. Hide there. Don't... Now, don't argue with me, do it. All right. Then I went to the door, making a loud, yawning sound. The backs of my hands were wet. I opened the door. Without a gun, that was a mistake. I certainly knew the gun I was looking into, a 22 target automatic that had already killed one man that night. And I knew the bald head and the flat, shiny eyes and the face like a poisonous lizard. Baldy put the muzzle of his gun lightly against my throat. I, I backed into the room, and Baldy kicked the door shut. You alone? Look for yourself. I'm asking, not looking. I'm alone. You and that dumb bartender saw me dust off Waldo. What did Waldo do to you? Who's asking? Just making conversation. He stooled on me on a bank job we did together. Got me four years in Michigan pen. How is he? Dead. <laughs> I'm still good, drunk or sober. Tell me why I came here, pal. You heard the barkeeper and me talking, and I told him my name, where I lived. That's how, pal. I said, why? Oh, skip it. The hangman won't ask you to guess why he's there. Oh, you're pretty tough at that, ain't you? But you're slamming off, pal. All right, but you could get that gun out of my neck and try somewhere else. Oh, yeah, sure. Is this better? Does this suit you all right? Uh, just so it isn't my neck. Say when, pal. It's your party. I leaned against the gun. The door of the dressing room showed a crack of darkness. The crack widened. I began to shake a little. The girl came quietly into the room, but there was white all around her iris. She, she was scared. She had her gun in her hand, but I was sorry for her. Dead sorry. She'd try to make the door scream either way. It'd be curtains for both of us. You're scared, mister? You worried about any little thing? I couldn't talk. The girl floated in the air somewhere behind Baldy, and her horrified face was drifting toward us. My mouth was as cold and dry as yesterday's toast. Well, kid, how's it feel? You ready yet? Go on, say the word. Well, don't take all night about it if you're, if you're going to do something about it. Why not, pal? I like this. Well, suppose I yell. Go ahead, yell. Go ahead. Put you up got... your hands! Hey, the... look! Oh? Thanks, sister. Thanks. That, that buys me. Everything I have is yours now and forever. You flatter me no end, lady. I only punched him. 
All right, now get out of here while I call the cops down on this killer. Yes. Yes, good night. Good hey, night. Hey, wait, wait. Leave that Bolero jacket here. It marks you for the cops. Oh, yes, here. Okay. See you again? Why? Oh, I don't know. No, I guess not. After all, who am I to be the rival of a dead flyer? I'll see that the police get Jesse James here. Good night, lady. Yeah? You mean me? Yes. Please. Oh, you. Again, huh? Get in. I must talk to you. You want to know what happened at headquarters, huh? Yes. Well, I went down there with the law and gave him the story. I left you out of it. Oh, thank you. You saved my life, so no one knows a thing about you. Well, incidentally, neither do I. Well, my name is Mrs. Frank Bosley. 212 Fremont Place, Olympia 24596. Is that what you want? I guess so. Well, there it is. Now, why did you really come back? I wanted my pearls. Pearls? Yes. Pearls, too, huh? All right. Tell me about the pearls. We've had a murder and a beautiful mystery woman and a sadistic killer and a heroic rescue. Now we will have pearls. I was to buy them back from the man called Waldo. Well, I saw everything that came out of his pockets and there weren't any pearls. Could they be hidden in his apartment? Uh, It's possible. Waldo lived on the same floor you do in this apartment house. And why didn't I know him, at least by sight? He moved in last week. He managed to get a sublet. Great, a sort of an amateur magician on the side, huh? getting rather late. Yeah. What about your husband this hot, mysterious night? He's still at his meeting. You could have brought him along. You could have sat in the back seat working out a problem in hydroelectrics while... While what? Well, I didn't have any answers. They wouldn't sound cheap or just ridiculous or from the sophomore class in repartee. Had an unlit cigarette in my hand. I threw it out of the window. I took a hold of her and kissed her. She sat very still. I was shaking when I let go of her. Her voice trembled a little when she spoke. I meant you to do that. I wasn't always that way. Only since Johnny Dalmas was killed in the war. He gave me those pearls. Forty-one of them perfectly matched with a diamond propeller clasp. I'd have loved them if they'd been wooden beads because he gave them to me. I love Johnny. The way you love just one time. You understand that? Hmm. What's your name? Lola. Lola, how did you explain a $15,000 pearl necklace to your husband? I told him they were imitation, then I bought them myself. How did Walter latch on to them and what they stood for? When my husband was in Argentina, Walter and I'd go for long drives. I was restless and wretched because of Johnny. Sometimes Waldo and I had a little drink together, but that's all. But you confided in Waldo about this pearl. I was a fool. And when your husband came back, Waldo stole the pearls and offered to sell them back to you, or he'd tell Papa, huh? I was a fool. And now you think the pearls are upstairs in Waldo's apartment? I suppose it's a lot to ask. No, sweetheart, huh? I've been paid. I'll go look. Wait here, huh?
Was the gun long, Lola? No. Well? No. No pearls? No pearls. Oh. There was a man in Waldo's room. A man? Who? You know a man named Leon Balsanos? Not by name. I don't know. Mexican, South American, about uh, 45, small, iron gray hair, very neat, fawn-colored suit, wine-colored tie. No, I don't think I know such a man. Is he the one in Waldo's room? Yeah. What does he have to say? Very little. In fact, nothing. He's dead. You are listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin, with music composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. Yes, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste New Pepsodent with invigorating irium foam. New, fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new, cool, minty flavor. It's the three-to-one favorite over all other toothpastes. It's true. With families all over America, new Pepsodent is the favorite three-to-one. The Farrell family of Evergreen Park, Illinois, preferred new Pepsodent on every single count. The Farrells say new Pepsodent tastes best of all, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. On all these counts, by an overwhelming average of three-to-one... Families prefer new Pepsodent over all other toothpaste they've tried. It's a fact. Families three to one say new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, and makes teeth brighter. Remember, this is not just our opinion. It's the honest conviction of the Farrells and other families who compared new Pepsodent with other toothpaste they had at home. Get new Pepsodent, the only toothpaste containing irium. Get it for your family without delay. We continue with the adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler and starring Van Heflin, who appears by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mare, producers of the Technicolor musical Fiesta, starring Esther Williams. I sat with Lola Barsley in her car listening to that jittery, infuriating desert wind gallop around in the midnight streets. I just told her about the Latin-looking man I'd found in Waldo's room in a very dead condition. I held her hands until they stopped trembling. Then I gave her the few remaining details. He had a gun in a shoulder holster, but someone had strangled him before he could use it. Someone? Waldo? Maybe. You see that convertible coupe two cars ahead of us? It's been there for hours. It was there before I parked here to wait for you. Leon, the man in Waldo's room, came in that car, but according to the key containers he carried, that isn't his car. Whose car is it? Does it matter? Well, it belongs to a lady, according to the tag on the keys. A lady? Well, anyway, a woman, if you're going to split hairs. Eugenie Kolchenko, hmm? In West Los Angeles? Never heard of her. Uh-huh. All right, well, you go home now, huh? What are you going to do? Drive that flossy convertible around, wave at my friends, impress people. You run along now. Me, I've got another date. Yes? What is it, please? Miss uh, Eugenie Kolchenko? Yes? What is it? Did you lose or misplace a pigeon gray convertible coupe? What are you saying? 
Now, don't be alarmed. I found it, and I brought it home to you. Come in, please. It is a reward you wish. Shall we say... Snap out of it, dragon lady. Who was he? Who was who? The little guy, Leon. You loaned your car to. He's dead. Who was he? Oh, Oh, no, no. Oh, yes, yes. Eugenie. Darling, darling, come here, please. What's the matter, honey? Who is this man? I came about Miss Kolchenko's car. What about her car? The gentleman who borrowed it couldn't return it on account of he isn't alive. He's dead. Darling, he's dead. Well, that's putting it more bluntly, of course. Dead, huh? Mm, completely. Who are you? Philip Marlowe, private investigator. My card. Mm-hmm. You told the police yet? Never do at once what can be deferred pending negotiations. Aesop. I might negotiate. Oh, peachy. What do you know, Marlowe? A man named Waldo was shot in a bar tonight. I happened to have the inside as to who he was, and when I visited his apartment tonight, I found this Leo Valsanos dead. He wouldn't have had $500 in 20s on him, would he? No, but this Waldo had over $700 on him when he was killed at that cocktail bar, mostly in 20s. Mm. Is there a basis there for negotiations yet? Very well, Marlowe. I'm a married man. There were certain unpaid bills for some stuff Miss Kolchenko here had charged to my account. But you told me I might charge to your account. All right, so I wasn't very bright. That might be the understatement of the decade, but go on. I had the unpaid bill safely in my briefcase. Somehow this Waldo had a chance to steal the briefcase. I hired Leon and gave him $500 to buy back those bills from Waldo. Instead, Waldo took Leon's dough and was forced to kill Leon in the process. Then he went out to keep another date and accidentally walked into an old pal hostile enough to blow him down. And someone still has those bills. And I'm in for a divorce suit. The man who shot Waldo got away in Waldo's car with your briefcase in it. Yeah, that could be. The cops caught him. Oh. And the police have the briefcase. Maybe. But the police are interested in solving crime, not in tossing mud for the benefit of sensation eaters. Look, I've got a friend or two at headquarters. Let me see what I can do. It's worth $500 to me. Well, then that's what it'll cost you. Well, good luck. And, um, thank you, Mr., uh... Marlowe. Philip Marlowe, remember? My name is Frank Barsley. Bars... Barsley? Oh. What does that mean? The big hydroelectric engineer? Yeah. How did you know? My voices tell me. Who? Darling, this man is manifestly insane. It's the heat, Miss Kolchenk. It's the Santa Ana. It's the desert wind. May I use your telephone? Someday I must tell you about Ibera. Salt of the Earth, Ibera, Detective Lieutenant over at Central Homicide. I phoned Ibera from Miss Kolchenko's house and told him where he could find a well-dressed cadaver named Leon and furnished a few small details. I gave Ibera time to check my tip and then I went down to see the good lieutenant and told him why I'd been up in Waldo's room, only to find Leon instead of a certain lady's string of pearls. Pearls, eh? Well, I thought Waldo might have them up there. Hmm. Whose pearls were they? A lady's. Go on. Or they might have been in Waldo's car that Waldo's killer drove away in. Mm, yeah. What, yeah? They might have. Also a batch of unpaid bills charged to the account of a certain Frank Barsley? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, now, the police aren't interested in domestic scandal. They, they want to prevent or to solve crime, right? 
So? So I've got $500 for the police fund if those pearls and those bills are returned to their rightful owners. <laughs> Quit your kidding. No, no, it's, it's a valuable necklace. Yeah. There's your necklace. That's it. 41 pearls, perfectly matched diamond propeller clasp. That's it. That's the one. Take it away, Morrow. On the level? Mm-hmm. Just tell me straight what it's all about, all oh, I ask. Sure, sure. Well, this Waldo was blackmailing a wife with the pearls and her husband with the bills, a guy by the name of Barsley. Well, Barsley sent Leon to get the bills from Waldo. Instead, Waldo killed Leon, then stepped out and happened to get shot by that guy at the bar. Now, if Barsley's name stays out of the paper, I get $500, and that goes to the police fund. We'll keep him out. Well, now, I'm not in this case for money. I just want to get back the bills and the pearls. As you say, Morrow, the police aren't in business to sling mud. Well, you can deliver the pearls to the lady yourself if you like. No, she no, lives no, at... No, 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 Morrow. Uh, you better take them to her. You see, except for the diamond propeller clasp on them, they're, uh, They're phony. Fo- phony? But... All but the clasp, Morrow. All but the clasp. <laughs> So the flyer, Johnny Dalmas, the great lover, had given Lola a string of fake pearls. Well, I didn't know how to tell her, but I called her up and told her to meet me at the beachcombers at two. I was going to slip her the bad news slowly. I'm glad you asked me to meet you here, Mr. Marlowe. See, I... I had to have someone to talk to. Go ahead. Go ahead, talk. I'm listening. Now, Mr. Marlowe, now more than ever, I must... I must have those pearls. Why? Money trouble? Oh, no, no. It's just that everything's gone wrong. And this morning, my husband told me where to separate. Oh, I'm sorry, Lola. But if I had Johnny's pearls, it would be a link with the past and with Johnny. And all he meant to me. It's how a woman feels, Mr. Marlowe. I wouldn't blame you for not understanding. Well, maybe I do, though. So please, Mr. Marlowe, Please. You'll try to find my pearls. Lola, look, I... Even if it isn't all of them. Any part of them. Any... Any single smallest one of them. It'll be Johnny's. Look, will you uh, meet me here again around 4 o'clock? I'll be here. Okay, I'll see what I can do. There was only one earthly decent thing I could do. I took Lola's glass pearls to a jeweler and I had him take off the diamond clasp and put it on one of those strings of so-called simulated pearls that they sell you for three bucks, tax included. And went back to keep my four o'clock date with Lola at the beachcombers. Well, Mr. Marlowe, anything new? Yes, the uh, police found some pearls in Waldo's car. They found my pearls? No, no, not, not exactly. Not exactly? Well, Waldo was getting set to jip you, Lola. He had the diamond clasp of your necklace attached to a string of cheap imitations. And then he sold the real pearls. Oh, how... Oh. These are the imitations here. Yes. But it is my clasp. The clasp is real. Is that all right? Yes, it's the clasp that Johnny Dalmas gave me. Of course, of course it's all right. Oh, that's swell. And thank you so much, Mr. Marlowe. Forget it. I won't. Not ever. Well, it's... This goodbye. Yeah, I think so. You'll never get over Johnny Dalmas, Lola. If anybody ever bothers you again, though, well, let me know. 
Name's Philip Marlowe. I drove almost to Malibu and then I parked and walked out on a rock cliff jutting into the Pacific Ocean. Then I reached in my pocket and dug out the string of bohemian glass pearls that Lieutenant Ibarra had found in Waldo's car. I cut the knot at one end and slipped the pearls off one by one. One by one, I flipped them into the water. The gull swooped down on them and then flapped up again, screaming indignantly. The phony pearls had fooled Waldo and Lola Barsley, but they couldn't fool a seagull. I said to myself, to the memory of Johnny Dalmas, just another four-flusher. I listened a while to the wheeling seagulls. All at once, I realized that the wind had died. The Santa Ana had blown itself out. The red wind was done. It was over. You have just heard Van Heflin starring in the first of a new mystery series, Raymond Chandler's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Brought to you by the Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Pepsodent. Have you tried, have you tasted the new Pepsodent toothpaste? Its lingering minty flavor is so fresh and inviting, families prefer it by an overwhelming average of three to one over all other toothpastes in a recent nationwide test. They said new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, and makes teeth brighter. Remember, new Pepsodent gives you more invigorating irium foam. It sweeps dulling film away. No wonder it's the three-to-one favorite with families all over America. Get new Pepsodent with Irium for your family right away. Tonight's story on the adventure of Philip Marlowe is based on Red Wind, written by Raymond Chandler, creator of Philip Marlowe, the screen's most famous private detective. It was adapted for radio by Milton Geiger. Heard with Van Heflin was Lorene Tuttle as Lola Barsley. And this is Wendell Niles inviting you to listen again next week at this same time to another exciting story on The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin with a distinguished cast. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba of your smile. Use Pepsodent twice a day. See your dentist twice a year. Lever Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent Program, 
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Hepsident presents Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler's famous private detective. You've seen him on the screen in Lady in the Lake, Murder My Sweet, The Brasher Doubloon, and The Big Sleep. Now Pepsodent brings you the adventures of Philip Marlowe on the air and starring MGM's brilliant and dynamic young actor, Van Heflin. Now families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste, New Pepsodent with Arium. New, fresh-tasting Pepsodent with the new, cool, minty flavor. It's the three-to-one favorite over all other toothpastes. Yes, in a recent test, families from coast to coast compared new Pepsodent with other toothpastes at home. And by an overwhelming vote, by an average of three-to-one, these families preferred new Pepsodent over all other toothpastes on all these counts. They said new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Yes, on all these points, families three to one declared new Pepsodent better than the average of all other toothpaste they tried. Get it for your family right away. There comes a certain time in the year when I don't want to see midget auto races. I just want to see midgets. When I prefer sawdust to stardust and popcorn to all other kinds of corn available in Hollywood. The circus was moving in on the grounds at Washington Boulevard and Hill Street. And I was turning in my usual fine job as sidewalk supervisor. It was exciting. It brought back all the sounds and sensations and convictions of childhood. And then someone had me firmly by the wrist, and I turned to look into a pair of steady, smoky, dark eyes that could be dangerous. Excuse me, sir, but you are a private detective? I'm a detective, but I don't get much privacy. Yeah, my name is Ralph Tassanari. Who told you I was a detective? My feet aren't that flat. Do you know a gentleman named Al Sikanolfi? Well, I know an Al Sikanolfi, yes. He pointed you out. He asked me what was the big idea. What was my angle hiring a private detective? He gave me an idea. When has Al Sikinolfi had any ideas to spare? Mr. Marlowe, besides owning one-third of this very fine little circus, I am Tassinari of Tassinari the Swede and Glorian. Trapeze stuff. The most brilliant aerial act in the business. I own this circus with Gorian and the Swede. Well, where does Al Sikinolfi fit in here? Now, the Swede gets drunk and gambles fantastic sums of money. This circus is worth a quarter of a million dollars. Already, the Swede has gambled away much more than his third of the circus. And a partner may sell out his other partners without even consulting them. Oh, you're afraid the Swede will sell you out to pay for his debts. Yeah. And if he did that, I should not hesitate to... Uh Uh-oh. Watch yourself. Uh, Al Sikhanoffi has made it plain that the gamblers expect payment immediately. Would you consider giving us your protection during the three days we're going to be here? $25 a day in expenses. That's the nut. Cheap enough. I know, but you see, I'm a sucker for circuses. Yeah? Is this the office of Philip Marlowe? Better still, this is Philip Marlowe. Ralph Tassinari hired you this morning, didn't he? Go ahead. This is his partner, Glorianne. I'm in a downtown bar with a Swede, and he's terribly drunk. I know this isn't your job, but 
Won't you come down and help me get him sobered up for the night? Please? All right. Mother Marlowe will be right down. I found the main street bar where Glorianne said I'd find her and the Swede. The Swede was potted like Grandma's begonia, and with the help of the bartender and four professional loafers, we got him into my car. I told Glorianne to drive. Yeah, oh, leave me alone, will you? I'm, I'm all right. Well, just take it easy. Where shall I drive, Mr. Marlowe? Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. I'll stay back here and wrestle the suite for the championship. Yeah, I just left him alone for an hour to do some shopping. Yeah. I'll tell you something, honey girl. That, that Tassinari makes any more passes at you, I'll, I'll beat him brainless. Oh, please don't pay any attention to him, Mr. Marlowe. He thinks everyone at the circus is in okay, love with me. Okay, now back in your seat, Yeah, Roger. yeah, and that, that flip doctor, too. Oh, be still. I'm telling you something, honey girl. One of these days, I'm going to get absent-minded on that trapeze, and I'm not going to catch your friend, Tassinari. How, how's that, huh? Don't listen to him, Mr. Marlowe. Well, then tell muscles to let go of my ear. <laughs> yeah, perfect crime. Who'd know if it was an accident or not? And then I'd own half a circus instead of just a third. Please, Mr. Marlowe, <laughs> he's drunk. Yeah, but drunk or sober, he's got one doozy of an idea there. Drunk or sober. Hey, hey my wrist, what's that? <laughs> I knew some interns at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital who obliged with some oxygen and a mask. A half hour of breathing that oxygen deeply, and the Swede was stone cold sober and back in my car again. He was making certain cagey explanations. Uh, Marlowe, you don't want to take that stuff I was mumbling about seriously, you know. I, I was drunk. I'm certainly worse. After all, Gloria Ann's my wife. Oh? Well, naturally, I, I don't like other guys giving her the eye. But that, that screwy talk about me dropping Tassinari accidentally on purpose. Oh. Forget it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, the perfect crime. No, I was only talking, Marlowe. I wouldn't do that to Tassinari. Of course not. He'd be all broken up about it, wouldn't he? I sat in a field box that evening as the small, neat circus unwound toward the big act. And the big moment arrived with butterflies warming up in my stomach and a pulse thumping madly in my neck. Swede came bounding into the arena and over to the two spidery ladders that zoomed up into the very peak of the big tent. Up there where it was hot, high, and dangerous, two magnificently made men climbing that slim ladder, their brilliant capes flowing behind them, going up higher, smaller, higher. And then they were on their tiny platforms removing their capes grandiosely. And they turned, faced each other across the void like divers, not a voice, not a breath. Not a sound. I began to perspire. The net was being gathered back. Then suddenly, Tassinari raised his right arm and smiled, dropped 
dropped his arm and the Swede shot out into space like a comet and the gay, waltzing, somehow insane music began. It was all the announcer said, at least to me. Daring and terrifying. Whirl and spin and contact. Swing, swing, swing and spin. Spinning and whirling, contact and break. Hands locked to rosined hands. Contact and break. Spin, whirl, cartwheel and contact. Swing, swing, swing and leap. Split second timing and the split second split again with trapeze bars flying into place where and when they were needed. I looked away my head, drumming and swimming. And I looked up again. I looked up and the thing that had been tying my stomach in cold, hard knots, the thing I was afraid of, happened. Look out! Music played a gay tune. The clowns poured into the arena, grinning happily. I saw the youngish, handsome doctor race across the sawdust, followed by Gloriana. Across the arena, I saw Al Sikinolfi get up and disappear into the crowd. I went out, too. Outside, I managed to get a shaking match to a quaking cigarette. In my mind, I heard again and again the drunken voice of the flying Swede come back to me. One of these days, I- I'm going to get absent-minded on that trapeze, and I'm not going to catch your friend Tatanari. How's that, huh? Only it was all wrong. It didn't add up. Because the body that had plummeted to the ground hadn't been the body of Ralph Tassinari, but of the man who had plotted the perfect crime, Gloriana's husband, the flying Swede. <laughs> I saw it, Brian. I think I could kill Ralph for this. You think Tassinari dropped your husband purpose? What do you think? Look, Brian, I I took this job, you know why, and but all this reminded me of myself when I was a kid reading Tom Sawyer and Huck Penn and believing. Well, I, I still believe in them. I felt the same way about the circus. The last childish illusions a man holds on to so he doesn't get too hard. You're not tough at all, are you? I was going to like this job, and then this happened. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. I'm sorry we failed you. No, Look, Gloriane, the Swede is dead, and you think Tassinari killed him, but it's the perfect crime. You can't prove anything. Look, maybe I didn't love the Swede very much, but he was my husband, and I'm a square. Did you love Tassinari? If I did, it's all over now. I'm going to prove to everybody in circus business, at least, that he killed my husband. Yeah, well, how? You'll see, little boy. Good night. I watched her go back into the big tent, and then I drove home and dreamed all night of Al Sikinolfi smiling his yellow smile and disappearing into the crowd. I got up late and went down for coffee in a newspaper. The story was there on page one. Also, a silky, leggy picture of Gloriana beneath it, the caption reading, Show must go on, dares high trapeze and tassinary after mate falls to death. I looked at my watch, it was late, later than I thought. For the daring young dame on the flying trapeze, it was almost too late. (laughs) 
are listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Yes, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste. New Pepsodent with invigorating irium foam. New fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new cool minty flavor. It's the three-to-one favorite over all other toothpaste in recent home tests. Like families from coast to coast, the James M. Sinclair family, East 2nd Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, like new Pepsodent better than any other toothpaste. In fact, Mrs. Sinclair says... This new Pepsodent made a big hit with our whole family, especially my son, Jimmy. He's so crazy about that Pepsodent flavor, it's less of a problem getting him to brush his teeth now. My husband likes the way Pepsodent leaves his mouth feeling so much cleaner and his breath fresher. And as for me, I've never found any toothpaste better for brightening my teeth. Yes, families from coast to coast, by an overwhelming average of three to one, say new Pepsodent is better than any other toothpaste they tried. Better for taste, better for cleaning the breath, better for brightening teeth. Remember, this is not just our opinion. It's the honest conviction of the Sinclairs and other families who compared new Pepsodent with brands they had at home. So why not have your family try new Pepsodent, the only toothpaste containing irium? Get it without delay. We continue with the adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler and starring Van Heflin, who appears by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mare, producers of The Hucksters, starring Clark Gable. The Lion Act was going on when I arrived at the circus grounds and practically ran to Glorianne's tent. She was in her tights and cloak ready to go on. Look, Glorianne, you're, you're kidding. This is a gag. You're not going up there. In one minute, little boy. Well, you're out of your mind. I'm going up as fast as now. He could prove you to kill the Swede. You add that up. My arms are full of bundles. How can I agree to go up with me? Why? Why aren't his nerves shattered after yesterday? Because he knows he didn't make a mistake yesterday. He knows he dropped my husband purposely. And not because his timing or reactions were wrong. Do I make sense? Up to a point. You're thinking he may drop me purposely. And I wouldn't like that. He won't drop me. What makes you so sure? Because Tassie and I love me. He wants me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, go to it, little girl. I watched Glorianne so small and slim and fragile as she went up that thin ladder. My throat swelled tight and the butterflies took off in my stomach again. She was on the platform, removing her silk cape, folding it carefully over the rail. They were facing each other, smiling. Smiling. Dead, sultry silence. Then... minutes I sat there, petrified, watching her cold sweat channeling down my back. For ten minutes, I stopped breathing. I died. Once, only once, I had to close my eyes, and in that second, I, I heard the crowd roar. Everyone was standing up, screaming and goggle-eyed. I groped to my feet, and there she was. 
bowing and laughing and throwing kisses into the crowd and at Tassinari and at me. Then she pirouetted and ran up the ramp to her dressing tent. I got there with Tassinari. Her eyes warmed for me and then froze again for Tassinari. Come in, little boy. And you, Tassinari. Tassinari? Ralph Olson is the name I bear. Today I talked to Tassinari. Now I want Mr. Marlowe to hear what I have to say to you. Which is first that I'm through with you. Gloriane. Not, not because of the accident. Yes. But because it was not an accident. You don't believe that. May I suggest that maybe Al Sikanofi has a meaty part in this picture? No. Hassanari here killed the Swede. Gloriane, that's not true. Dr. Stowe seems to think as I do. Ah, yes, Dr. Stowe. I did pass your tent last night after the accident. <laughs> accident? I heard you and the Caffite unsuccessful doctor speaking together, oh, so intimately. Bear your insult, Tassinari. Speaking together, deciding conveniently, perhaps, that I killed the Swede. Richard never accused you. He only said Oh, no, that... he's the one, eh? Richard. Get out. If I wanted to murder a man, it would be easy to take my gun from my trunk and shoot him. Yeah, but that wouldn't be the perfect crime. Why should I want to kill the Swede? Because he might have uh, sold you out to pay his debts. Because you'd get half of his share of the circus. Because you were in love with his wife. I see. You think you have a case, huh? I hope not. Glorian knows what I mean. Only perhaps Toss and I had better go now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very sorry, Gloriane. For all of us. Good day. Good day, Mr. Marlowe. He padded out softly like a panther, resentment and hatred smoldering in his eyes. That was horrible, little boy. Better lie down now. I left wondering if there'd be a show that night, tradition or no tradition. I walked for a half an hour, and then a police squad car came screaming down Washington Boulevard toward the circus grounds. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun, but Marlowe runs in it. I found a small colony of cops in one of the dressing tents. The man on the cot had taken a lot of pulses in his time, but he didn't have a single one to show for it, not even his own. Good-looking, youngish Dr. Richard W. Stowe was dead. Detective Lieutenant Ibera held out a small automatic to me. Hello, Marlowe. I hear you've been masterminding things around here lately. <laughs> Ever see this gun before? I may have heard of it. A man named Ralph Tessonari connected with his show has disappeared. Know something about that? He was fresh from a lover's quarrel last I saw him. Uh-huh. Or maybe just out walking it off. Mm, possibly. But the dead doctor and Tassanari both went for a pretty little trapeze queen named Gloria Ann. Was anything stolen here? No. The circus hand who heard the muffled shot came running before anything could have been taken. Well, the gal, uh, Gloria Ann, how does she feel about this? She's in her tank, heavily committed to a case of hysterics. Uh, Marlowe divvies on any information you get out of her. <laughs> Look, Gloriane, you can't go on like this. Now let me get something for you. 
I'll be all right. Uh, just a sedative to settle your nerves. Oh, oh no, we never take that thing. It's bad for going up on the trap. No, no, I'll sleep. That's the best thing. Sleep. But, no, you, you can't go up there tonight. Anyway, Tassinari's missing. I'll go see what I can find for you. I rummaged through Dr. Stowe's medical bag while Ibera watched from across the tent. I found a small black book. I leafed through it with my hand still hidden in the bag. It was a small case history book with sketchy data about his cases, the treatment given, the medication prescribed. I very quietly tore out the last page, palmed it, and slipped it in my pocket as I creaked to an approximate upright position. Find anything to quiet the little woman, Marlowe? No, not a thing, Lieutenant, not a thing. I'll uh, try a drugstore. Tablets of cyclodorm, grains one and a half. One tablet with warm water for nerves or sleep. What is it? It's a common sedative, but I can't sell you any without a prescription. Uh, well, well, can you tell me anything about those drugs? Some, but you will find a lot more in Dr. Toral Solman's textbook on pharmacology. Textbook of pharmacology. It's only in the main library, I think, but it's complete. That'll tell you all you want to know, I'm sure. <laughs> The druggist was right. The textbook of pharmacology told me all I wanted to know. Also, this was a very limited edition. It was probably the only one of its kind that had on the page devoted to cyclodrome a smudge of lipstick in the shape of a woman's finger. It was all and more than I wanted to know. And all at once, I was old. Very old. From now on, I was going to leave illusions to high school girls and magicians. Hello, little boy. Back again. I see you're dressed for work, Lorian. Has and I returned? I wouldn't know. But I think I do know who killed the Swede. Tassinari. I gravely doubt that. Well, then who? Not Alfred and Alfie. Glorian, you're a dainty little thing, and that's a particular reason why you should break yourself of little unsightly habits, like touching your fingers to your mouth to turn back pages in books. Are you all right, little boy? Was the Swede all right when he went up with Tassinari last night? Oh, well, of course. Or was he just slightly under the influence of a sedative drug that calms the nerves? Yes, but slows up their reaction time. I don't understand such matters. You admitted to me today that it isn't wise to take such sedatives before your act. But you did get a prescription for such tablets from Dr. Stowe, and you said nothing about them. Well, I was upset after the Swede was killed. I needed something. But according to Dr. Stowe's casebook, you got the tablets before the Swede was killed. And you left him at the bar for an hour yesterday while you did a little medical research at the main library. And that night, the Swede's split-second timing didn't quite split, did it? Of course you weren't afraid to go up with Tassinari today. 
He didn't miss the Swede. The Swede missed him. I hated him. You didn't want him. You just wanted the circus, all of it. So you killed the Swede with his own perfect crime. Only it was too perfect. You couldn't pin the murder on Tassinari. You had to think of something more down to earth. Go on, little boy. Make Gloria and proud of you. Dr. Stowe knew that you hated your husband. He knew that you had those tablets. He knew that the Swede didn't make mistakes. Last night, when Tassinari heard you and Stowe whispering together here, Stowe was telling you what he suspected, wasn't he? He was a doctor, and he is furious at the thought of being used in a murder. You're raising your voice and upsetting No. Well, if you didn't shut up the doctor, he'd talk. So you shot him with Tassinari's gun after staging a very nice row with Tassinari in front of me. That would pin it on Tassinari. You let Stowe take you in his arms to muffle the shot. That was particularly pretty. No, little boy. was not. No, it was not. Little boy, you've had a bitter day. Mm. Well, it's time that I grew up anyway. That's for my act. And Gloria. I've sent for the police, Gloria. They'll be here pretty soon. Little boy! Hassanari is there. He's waiting in the runway across the arena. He came back. He doesn't even know he's wanted, probably. Oh, little boy, I have let you down. Let me make it up a little. Let me go out there. Will you come down again? Yes, of course. By the ladder, I mean. I won't let you down again, little boy. I promise it. We said that people won't disappoint you again. Please. They're waiting. Well, the show must go on, mustn't it? All right, go ahead, lady. They're waiting. She ran out laughing and throwing kisses, and I walked out after her. Stood in the runway watching. I watched the small, delicate figure going up the ladder. Then she was at the platform. Rosin on shoes, rosin on the hands and wrists. And sultry silence, not a voice. Not a breath. She was raising her hand in a gesture of exquisite grace and sureness and smiling at Tassinari. Smiling. And there it was. This was it. There. Ghostly packs of small fry from my school days gaped up with me and shivered with kid delight. I was a kid again, gawking up at the circus guy and the circus lady, the daring young dame on the flying trapeze, Tassinari and Gloriane, for positively the last performance anywhere on earth. You have just heard Van Heflin starring in the new mystery series, Raymond Chandler's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, brought to you by the Lever Brothers Company, makers of Pepsodent. Van Heflin will return in just a moment. Have you tried, have you tasted the new Pepsodent toothpaste? Its lingering minty flavor is so fresh and inviting, families prefer it by an overwhelming average of three to one over all other toothpastes in a recent nationwide test. They said new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, and makes teeth brighter. 
Remember, new Pepsodent gives you more invigorating irium foam. It sweeps dulling film away. No wonder it's the three-to-one favorite with families all over America. Get new Pepsodent with irium for your family right away. Now here's Van Heflin, star of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. King Leopardi had the hottest trumpet and the coldest eye in show business, and he loved yellow silk, so they called him the King in Yellow. We consider his short, eventful life next week when, as Philip Marlowe, I have some business with the King in Yellow. Tonight's story was written by Milton Geiger, based on the character of Philip Marlowe, the screen's most famous private detective, created by Raymond Chandler. Heard with Van Heflin tonight as Glorianne was Lorene Tuttle. The original music was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. This is Wendell Niles inviting you to listen again next week at this same time to another exciting mystery on the adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin with a distinguished cast. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. the safety of your smile, use Pepsodent twice a day, see your dentist twice a year. Lever Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent program, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Philip Marlowe, the famous private detective of Murder, My Sweet and The Lady in the Lake, created by Raymond Chandler, brought to you on the air by Pepsodent, and starring MGM's dynamic young actor, Van Heflin. Now, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste, New Pepsodent with Irium. New, fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new, cool, minty flavor. It's preferred three to one over any other toothpaste. It's true. With families all over America, new Pepsodent is a favorite three to one. Families from coast to coast recently compared new Pepsodent with the toothpaste they were using at home. They preferred new Pepsodent by an overwhelming average of three to one over any other brand they tried. These families, three to one, said new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Yes, families, three to one, say new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Get new Pepsodent toothpaste for your family right away. Now, Van Heflin in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Hollywood after midnight is like any other city after midnight. Night moves in and the city becomes hushed and stealthy. The nightclubs close up one by one, but now and then the police whistle and the prowl car sirens serenade the sleeper. If you've got any cop in you at all, you get on edge and you have to get dressed and go out and walk it off to relax. Well, I was relaxing past the Swank Carlton Hotel on the Sunset Strip about 1 a.m. when all of a sudden, recess was over. Hey, Marlowe. Hmm? That you, Marlowe? 
It was George Millar, the quiet-spoken night clerk of the Carlton, hailing me from the doorway, probably to Mucha Melacrino. No, I was wrong. Hey, look, Marlo. Uh, you very busy right now? Why, Millar? If I may be as cagey as all that. We've got some, well, some trouble on the eighth floor. Where's Curly, your fearless house dick? Tonight he has to have a hangover. What's the beef on floor eight? King Leopardi. Do you know him? King Leopardi? Oh, that's the sweetest trump of this side of Gabriel. Is he tenting here tonight? He's in the corridor on the eighth floor, dressed in yellow pajamas and his trumpet. There's a girl with him, and they put him on a jam session. Well, suppose the king rejects my diplomatic notes. Well, uh, get rough, but only if you have to. Okay, thanks. But a guy with such an ear for music ought to listen to reason. All right, I'll be down five minutes, my life. All right, King, the party's over. Hey! Were you addressing me, peasant? I said, wrap it up, Cannon. Put it on ice. The show is over. Ha! Conk him, King. King Conk! That's what he is, King Conk! Let him have it, King. Fanfare to a nosy house dick. As follows. <laughs> All right, now look, yellow pants. Wrap up your bugle and buzz off. Now hit the grit. Oh, you're tougher than a 40 cent steak, aren't you? Well, this will make you soft and tender. Here. Atta boy, King. Hit him again for me. All right, hit me with that trumpet, will you? Okay, King. Ooh. <gasps> now, come on. Get up, get dressed, and get out. How can he? He's out cold. I'll be glad to pack for him. And you get back to your room, too. Listen, copper, I don't have to do get anything. Get going, sister. Come on, jump. door to room 815 was ajar. I went in and began tossing a lot of that yellow silk that the king liked so well into his suitcases. Something at the small desk stopped me. Tucked under the corner of the desk blotter was a note. It was assembled from words and letters cut out of newspapers and pasted on a telegraph blank. It said, ten grand by Thursday night, Leopardi, or else. Her brother... I slipped the note in my pocket and went out in the corridor just as the king staggered past me into his room. I could get an infection from the dirty look he gave me as he slammed the door after him. The door two suites away opened a crack and then shut again very quickly. I went over and knocked. Beat it, copper! I want to talk to you! I don't want to hear from you! Okay, here I come, sister, ready or not! I'll blow you down, so help me, I'll let you have it. Lay that pistol down, babe. Come on, Get out come on. you pick up weight you didn't count on. And what would the little girl be doing with a twenty-five automatic, I wonder? A girl needs protection with insects like <laughs> you around. Look, what's your name? Little Bo Peep. Okay, but what does little boy blue with a horn mean to you? I admire his work. Do you know King Leopardi? No. Well, what are you doing in a place like this? I can tell you you can't afford it. What's your angle? I won a soap contest. All right, baby, you want it that way? What are you going to do? I'm going to make a phone call. Won't touch your nickel. Hello, desk. Millar, it's Marlowe. I'm calling for the lady in room 811. She's checking out.
little trouble up there, Malloy. Your two noisy guests will be checking out any minute. Okay? Oh, well, I hate for things to happen on my shift. Well, the king bopped me with his bugle and the girl had a gun. Gee, nice people. Yeah, how come you put a floozy like that girl so close to the king? Well, I didn't. Another Quit thing. The day man did. Look, there was a receipt for rent to Miss Marilyn Delorme on the telephone table in her room. Well, that wasn't the name she gave Quillen. Apartment 211, Ridgeland Apartments, Cord Street, L.A. She lives right in town in a cheap neighborhood, but she checks in here at a price she can't afford and gives a phony name. Now, why? Why? Cord Street, where Marilyn Delorme lived, was Old Town. Artie Town, Crook Town. It was afternoon when I got off the cogwheel car that climbs the steep hill to where the Ridgeland apartment sat on the top of Bunker Hill. I went up dim, dusty stairs to apartment 211, and I tapped on the door. There was no answer, so I tried the door. It was unlocked. The room inside was dim with stagnant gloom. Marilyn Delorme was in. I didn't talk to her, though. I didn't think she'd want to make much conversation with those blue bruises about her throat where she'd been strangled. I got out of there fast, wiping off doorknobs like Uriah Heap polishing apples for his boss. I found King Leopardi at his job at the Club Belvedere. He was relaxing at a table in the bar with a kind of a girl commonly referred to as a knockout. She looked tall, and her hair was the color of a brush fire seen through clouds of dust. I pulled in my chin and then walked over to the table. Hello, Leopardi, old maestro. You remember me? I'm sorry, I can't say that I... Why, you... Dirty keyhole snooper. King, please don't start anything again. You left a certain little note in your hotel room last night. Get out, night. time a dozen. That wasn't all. That dame with you I last said, night. I said beat it. King, sit down. Beat it and take this with you. <clears throat> There's not much snap in that punch, King. Would you like to try it again? I, uh, have had some drinks. I'll see you later when I'm okay. See you later, too, Dolores, after the floor show. I'm, uh... I'm sorry, Miss... Uh, Sit uh, down. You've made us conspicuous enough as it is. Now, wait a minute. Sit Look, down. Get... Uh-huh. All right, thanks. Well, that's what I get for being a little gentleman and letting him pepper me without a comeback. No, he's always spoiling for a fight. Uh, the king just can't control his dukes, can he? You better have a drink. All right. Coke with bitters. <laughs> that's what I love about Hollywood. You meet so many eccentrics. Yeah, but you see, I'm the kind of a guy who starts with a short beer and wakes up in Shanghai with a full beard. <laughs> <laughs> is this on me or is it on you? Well, that depends. Well, how champagne? Mum's cordon rouge, shall we say, hmm? It's on you. It's on me. <laughs> Coke with betters. <laughs> how did you get to know King Leopardi? Oh, I just happened to throw him out of his hotel last night. Oh, house detective, huh? No, no, filling in for a friend. Philip Marlowe, private investigator, is the general tag. Oh. How did you happen to get to know the king? I once sang in his band, but not for long. Well, then, look, tell me, uh, would it be hard for a woman to get to him? 
Only if he was surrounded by a wall of fire. If the woman had a gun. Why? Well, I found this threat note on his desk last night. It asked for $10,000 or else, and is signed, her brother. Well? Well? Yes. A woman with a gun could get to him, and everybody would give her a great big hand. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll skip that Coke and bitters and say good day and thank you, Christabel. The name is Dolores. Oh, good afternoon, Miss Drury. Kioza. Dolores Kioza. Oh, Kioza. Fare thee well, Miss Kioza. <laughs> Formal, aren't you? <laughs> so long, Dolores. So long, Philip. If I hear of anything, I'll toss it your way. The evening papers carried a squib about Marilyn Delorme found strangled in her Cord Street apartment. That was all dead end. Until about one o'clock in the morning when the telephone started having hysterics on my night table. Yeah. Philip, this is Dolores. Dolores. Dolores? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Would sure, you come over yeah. to my place right away? 2412 Renfrew Street, below Fountain. Hey, wait a minute. It's a sort of bungalow court. Mine is the last one in line. But sure, but wait a minute. What's the matter? Dolores, look, what's the matter? King Leopardi is here, too. King Leopardi? He passed out of my den. It's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's absurd, and it'll cost you 20 bucks. All right, but hurry. Please hurry. All right, I'll be right over. Phone calls in the dead of night. I should have been a midwife. Come in, Philip. I'm sorry I woke you at this hour. That's okay. I always get up around this time anyhow to take my bitters and answer phone calls. Where is he? Uh, may I have a cigarette? Sure. Thanks. Right? Where did you say he was now? In my den. Oh, Philip... Philip, he isn't drunk at all. Did you really think he was drunk? He's dead. What? The king is dead. Long live the... With my gun. Mm. Well, good for you. That lady wins the large cutie doll. Hey, come on, let's go and look at him. You are listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. Yes, families all over America have named their favorite toothpaste. New Pepsodent with invigorating irium foam. New fresh-tasting Pepsodent with a new cool minty flavor. It's preferred three to one over any other toothpaste. It's true. Families all over America say New Pepsodent is their favorite three to one. The Paul A. Thompson family, Summer Street, Stanford, Connecticut, preferred new Pepsodent on every single count. The Thompsons say new Pepsodent tastes best of all, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. On all these counts, by an overwhelming average of three to one, families prefer new Pepsodent over any other toothpaste they tried. It's a fact. 
Families three to one say new Pepsodent tastes better, makes breath cleaner, and makes teeth brighter. Remember, this is not just our opinion. It's the honest conviction of the Thompsons and other families who compared new Pepsodent with the toothpaste they were using at home. Get new Pepsodent, the only toothpaste containing irium. Get it for your family without delay. We continue with The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin, who appears by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mare, producers of The Hucksters, starring Clark Gable. Delores showed me to the den in the back of the house... Trumpet man King Leopardi was lying on the studio couch, large, smooth, and artificial looking even in death. A small Mauser automatic hung loosely in his right hand. There was a bullet hole in his golden yellow sport coat right over his heart. Dolores, is this your gun? Uh, yes. Someone gave it to me once. I. I don't even know how to use it. Oh, no. Oh, I don't expect you or anyone to believe uh, me. Don't expect anything. Just tell it. Well, I, I... I was out late. I sing at KFQC on a late 15-minute program. Agatha and I got home about 11.30. Who's Agatha? The cat? My maid. Hmm. I came into the den for some liquor and fizz water and... found him. Like that. I sent Agatha home so she wouldn't find him. Finally, I thought of calling you. Well, he got in here. How? I don't know. Were you ever in love with him? The king never loved anyone. I asked if you loved him. I hated everything about him. It's even better to tell the cops that is but copacetic. But I can't help it. It's the truth. Dolores, look. <laughs> Go on out in the other room and buy yourself a drink. I want to be alone here with tall, dead, and handsome. Go on now, huh? <laughs> After Dolores had taken her white face out of that room, I could work better. I went through the king's pocket and found his key ring. One key fit very nicely in the lock of the back door. I went to the living room where Dolores was huddled against the arm of the Davenport trying to become a part of the pattern. Dolores, how long has Agatha been with you? Two years. Hmm. Did you ever steal anything from you? Small things, that's all. There are nylons now and then. I, I didn't mind why. Well, she sold a key to somebody. A key to this apartment. Oh, what's the difference, Philip? We're wasting time. I'm done for as a nice person. So think it was a lover's quarrel and I shot him. Or that he shot himself over me. Well, you don't die from the latter, though. Your reputation does. And I care about what people think of me. Yeah. Well, that's what makes me for you again, lady. Thanks, Philip. Now, look, suppose you give me a description of Agatha and tell me where she lives. I want to talk to her. Tonight. I drove down Brighton Avenue looking for the house Dolores had described to me. All at once, I slammed on my brakes. In the driveway of a vacant house stood a small coupe. Dolores had described Agatha's car, and that was it. 
and Agatha did not live in an empty house. I got out and walked up the gravel driveway and looked into the car. And then I got back in my own car and drove until I found an all-night drugstore. I phoned Detective Lieutenant Ibera. Hello, Ibera. Write this down. Brighton Avenue, 3200 block, west side, driveway of empty house. Car parked with dead woman in it. When alive, answered to the name of Agatha. Strangled. I went back to the Carlton Hotel where it all started the night before. Quillen, the head day clerk, was on night duty. That surprised me a little bit. It was 2 a.m. and very empty, very quiet in the lobby. That was fine. Well, if it isn't Marlowe, the old clues man. A good, good morning. And tripe like that. Hello, Quillen. Look, how come you're on duty? Millar went on vacation this a.m. His brother has a cabin at Crestline on the Arrowhead Road. Well, I didn't even know he had a brother. Now you know. Quillen, look, how come an old hotel man like you registers floozies like that Marilyn Delorme on the same floor with people like King Leopardi? What? You heard me, mine host. I didn't register the girl or Leopardi. Millar did. What? You heard me. Well, why was the room between their rooms empty last night in times like these? Well, Millar had it marked on change. Plumbing out of whack or something. Why? Oh. Well, here's why. A lad with a pass key could have gone into that room and then unlocked the two connecting doors. And then you could have run a bus service between the girls' room and Leah Party's. What are you driving at? That girl in 811 had a gun and Leah Party had a threat letter last night. Now, here's what I want you to do. Call the hotel where Leah Party's staying now and ask if he's there. Why? Because. Good enough? Best reason in the world. Wife always uses it. Wait here. In about three minutes, Quillen came back and leaned on the counter again. Leopardi isn't there. I talked to a guy in his suite who was almost sober. He said Leopardi got a call about 11 from some girl. What girl? Well, he didn't know. But Leopardi went out preening himself. Hmm. Okay, thanks, Cole. Anything to do with that brawl you had with Leopardi here last night? No, all in the spirit of boyish mayhem. Oh, that, uh, that 815 has a jinx on it, you know. Girl shot herself there two years ago. What? A girl shot herself there. Yeah, yeah, you said that, but what girl? I don't know what her real name was. Look here, Quillen. I want to see your hotel files of that day two years ago and all the newspaper clippings about it. Come on. All right, all right. Let go of my arm, physical culture. I'll get the keys to the record room. I read the hotel files of that day two years ago, and I read the newspaper clippings of that suicide in 815. Then I asked Quillen just where George Millar's brother had his cabin in the mountains. It was just getting light when I pulled up at the cabin, high against a growth of dagger pine and cedar. Smoke was curling from the chimney. Someone was awake. George Millar himself opened the door. Well, Marlowe! Well, gee, it's good to see you. Uh, how'd you ever find us up here? Uh, how about some bacon and eggs? The answer in my brief Marlowe morning manner is yes. Well, that's well. Uh, I'll wake up my brother and we'll all eat together, huh? You don't have to wake me up. I'm up. Oh, oh, hello, Gareth. Who's your friend, George? Uh, Gareth, this is Philip Marlowe. You've heard me talk of him. How are you, Marlowe? Gareth Pally. 
That the name? Yeah, my brother. That's his fighting name. He used to be a heavyweight boxer. Fighter. Boxers dance. Fighters fight. Well, uh, let's get coffee started. Huh? Marla's hungry. Yeah. Say, I'm, I've had a busy night. King Leopardi's been bumped off. Uh, bumped off? Lowbrow for killed. Vernacular for murdered. The king is dead, though. Uh, where? Uh, how did... In a girl's apartment. Nice girl, too. The old suicide gag. But it could ruin the girl. Oh, gee, that's lousy. I... Yeah. Yeah, but it won't work. It was murder. What makes you think it was murder? Well, Gaff, the way I cased the job, the kill was supposed to have been pulled in his room, 815 at the Carlton Hotel, night before last. Uh, is that a fact now? Yeah. I spoil it by giving the king the merry heave-ho before the girl in 811 could get to him. Didn't I, George? Uh, I guess you did, Marlowe. Yeah. Of course, it would have been poetic justice if King Leopardi had been killed in the same room where a girl committed suicide two years ago, registered as Mary Smith. Usual name, Eve Talley. Did you hear that, Gaff Talley? Eve Talley. I heard it, Marlowe. So we had a sister named Eve, shot herself in 815 at the Carlton. So what? So, George here told me that Quillen registered that professional gun girl in 815 night before last. Oh, no. George registered her. So? So, George kept the room between the girl and Leopardi vacant. When everything was quiet, he had opened the communicating doors, and Marilyn Delorme would walk into the king's room, muffle her 25 in a pillow, and shoot the king in his sleep. How am I doing, boys? Fine, Marlowe. How am I doing? Uh, Gaff, put away that gun. I'll bet you even checked on 118 Cord Street. Mm-hmm. I found Marilyn Delorme strangled. She knew too much. For a few bucks, you boys got Agatha to call Leopardi last night from the radio station and pretend she was Dolores with an interesting invitation. The king always had a yen for Dolores, and he came running. You shot the king before Dolores came home and left him in her den. Then Gaff got rid of Agatha. She knew too much, too. Leopardi was the worst kind of a rat, Marlowe. We loved our sister. She fell for him, and he threw her out. She killed herself. Now, what would you do, Marlowe? Take his gun, George. Don't get between us or behind him. His forty-five goes right on through. Uh, I'll have to take your gun, Marlowe. Yeah. Well, always treat it like your own, won't you, George? Got it, George? I've got it. Stand out of the way. Does it have to be this way, Gaff? Yeah, it has to be this way. Sure, George and Gaff, the avengers of innocent girlhood in their righteous indignation. Shut up, Marlowe. Lynch mobs, tar and feather merchants, and other laws unto themselves take notice. George and Gaff, they wrote the book. Say your prayers, big Marlowe. Gaff, there's been enough killing. Get out of the No, Gaff, I won't. I swear I'll let you have it. No, Gaff! I'm warning you. Goodbye, Gaff. I'm, I'm sorry. I had to do it. George, he's dead. So I had to do it, Gav. I, I just had to. You understand, don't you, Milo? Yeah, yeah, I understand. He was a killer. He killed three people. He wasn't going to kill a fourth. I wanted to finish Leopardo out in the open and take what came, but Gav tried to do it cute. I didn't know Leopardo was dead until you told me, Milo. I... I believe you, George. Yeah. Is your gun back, Marlowe? It shoots fine. (laughs) 
I put in a big pitch for George at headquarters. After all, he hadn't killed anybody except Gaff, and that was in self-defense and in defense of an unofficial copper named Marlowe. He won't go get off scot-free, but he won't inhale cyanide either at the taxpayer's expense. After I talked to Ibera at headquarters, I telephoned Dolores Chiosa. I didn't give her the sordid details, but just told her not to worry that she was in the clear. Philip. Oh, thank you, Philip. I'm so relieved. I'm so grateful. I'm so thirsty. Well, come on over then. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, is this fiesta on you or is it on me? Why? Well, I mean, do I drink Coke and bitters or Cordon Rouge? It's on me. <laughs> All right, then. Champagne it is, baby. But look, let me bring the glasses, huh? <laughs> You have just heard Van Heflin starring in the new mystery series, Raymond Chandler's The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, brought to you by the Lever Brothers Company, makers of Pepsodent. Van Heflin will return in just a moment. Men, here's an important announcement. News about a sensational hair tonic discovery. It's trim hair tonic made by Pepsodent. For the first time, science has created a hair tonic with pure virgin olive oil. There's no finer hair and scalp conditioner. Yes, because it contains pure virgin olive oil, Trim Hair Tonic conditions your scalp as it grooms your hair. Get new Trim Hair Tonic during the big one-cent introductory sale at toilet goods counters now. Two 60-cent bottles, $1.20 value, only 61 cents. Ask for Trim Hair Tonic with olive oil. Concerning next week's show, here's our star, Van Heflin. Philip Marlowe crouched in the darkness of Beverly Glen and waited for those footsteps to come closer. And then all at once, the sandman hit him without bothering to remove the sand from the sandbag. And when Marlowe woke up in the morning, his wallet and his gun were gone. And he was wanted for murder. Tonight's story was adapted by Milton Geiger from The King in Yellow by Raymond Chandler, creator of Philip Marlowe, the screen's most famous private detective. The original music was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. This is Wendell Niles inviting you to listen again next week at the same time to another exciting mystery on the adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin with a distinguished cast. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.